This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. We have a great show for you today on episode number 548. We're going to have part two of our four-part series on the IICRC-RIA Strategic Partnership Agreement. Joining us are IICRC Chair-Elect Kevin Pearson and IICRC Marketing Chair and past board member Craig Kersemeyer. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube. Leave a comment, like, or subscribe. You can also sign up for the weekly show announcement at iaqradio.com. And don't forget, we have continuing education credits available. Just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com or go to the continuing ed link on our homepage. Okay, let's start by thanking our platinum sponsor. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And, of course, our association sponsors, Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Hello, everyone. Well, we had many attempts at answering last week's trivia question. I'm sorry no one got it correct. According to our information, which is the live announcement made on IEQ Radio by Don Manger, RIA's executive director, February 16, 2007, was the day that the Association of Specialists in Cleaning and Restoration officially changed their name to the Restoration Industry Association. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, Friday, May 31st, 2019, has been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's trivia question. While the IICRC currently has 81 schools and several hundred instructors, it all started with one. Today's question is, who was the first IICRC instructor. Back to you, Joe. I'm looking forward to the answer on that, Cliff. I, I saw that. I was really surprised. Uh, I bet people have trouble getting that, but we'll see. All right, so today's guests are Kevin Pearson. Kevin has been in the cleaning and restoration industry since 1992. He's been a technician, a business owner, and is currently an industry consultant. He also serves as the IICRC's, IICRC's chair-elect on the board of directors and will become chairman of the board in October of 2019. We also have Craig Kersemeyer with us today. Craig has been involved in the cleaning and restoration industry literally his whole life. He's a second generation leader of K-Tech cleaning systems that started as a one truck, one man unit and became a leader in the industry and 30 plus service vehicles and over 100 employees. Um, K-Tech is a DKI network member and has three office locations. Craig has had many leadership positions in our industry for the IICRCA, the ICRA, and the MCRA. Ooh, acronym police are going to get me there. He has assisted the ISSA in the development of their certified training program. He's worked with manufacturers to help develop and test various pieces of restoration equipment that are in the market today and has been relied on as an expert witness uh, and with insurance companies. He's an RIA advanced certification as a water loss specialist, and he served on the IICRC executive committee and is current president of SCRT. He's also currently serving as the IICRC marketing chair. Gentlemen, do we have you on? Yes, sir. Good morning. Kevin, good morning. Craig, gentlemen, it's great to have you. Uh, looking forward to an interesting show today. Let's start with you, Kevin. Um, 
you know, you're, you're the chair elect for the IICRC, and I'd, I'd like to know what your vision is um, for the future. Once you, you start as the chair of the Institute, what's your future vision? You know, that's, that's a good question, Joe. Um, it kind of started two years ago because as being the first chair elect of the Institute, uh, there had to be some bylaw changes a couple of years ago, which created this position as chair elect. And uh, that's given me quite a bit of time to think about it and, uh, you know, so we can move the Institute forward. So uh, with that said, you know, similar to the way we have this agreement with RIA, uh, we've done an agreement with ICRA, have to be careful, don't want those uh, acronym police coming after me, but, uh, and I think, I think we uh, need to look at doing different agreements with other organizations as well. So uh, that's going to be something that we're looking into. We also want to stay current in the marketplace and keep developing standards and certifications that drive and support our industry. Um, We'll also explore new delivery methods of our certifications and exams, and uh, we'll uh, look into creating career paths for our registrants. Um, You know, our master's programs are great, and many people in the industry take advantage of those, but what if we could build another level on top of that? Um, We could, you know, working with RIA and the partnership we have with them and their certifications, we can develop opportunities for individuals not to to just have a job, but have a career. So um, government affairs and industry uh, advocacy, can't say that word too well either, but it's important, you know, that we uh, move this forward. I don't think we've paid attention to that in the industry, or at least in in the Institute, we haven't paid attention to that too much in the past. And so that's going to be important. You know, as part of the agreement with RIA, we do have a task force that we put together that uh, is populated from people from both organizations. So uh, that'll be something that we look to. Plus, we also want to grow our international markets. Uh, Some of you may know or remember Josh Kramer. He was with KCI, one of our previous management companies. And we just hired Josh uh, about a month ago or so to be our international director. And so Josh has experience with the Australian office. He knows the people down there. He knows the people in the UK. And most importantly, he knows the people in Japan. He even speaks Japanese. So um, we're hoping to grow internationally and see what new opportunities this is going to create for us. So we also like to attract new instructors. Uh, Sometimes it's kind of hard and some of them you know, our instructors nowadays like to use that dreaded R word, like they're going to retire. And so um, plenty of them complain that they're getting too old and want to retire. So we kind of got to look at our current model and uh, we may have to change some things. You know, we have this new RFMT class. It's a great example of how we're looking at different ways to do things. RFMT stands for Resilient Floor Maintenance Technician. And this course is totally different than what we do now. It's, um, it's got a single source textbook, which is different than what we do now. So every instructor's gonna teach out this textbook. They're gonna use the same PowerPoint, And so if you go to the course, you're going to get the same information in Florida as you do in California. And so uh, 
also the way we've kind of chosen instructors or approved instructors for this is different. Um, there's a lot of uh, mill people, you know, people from the, the mills that uh, want to be instructors for this, some inspectors. And we're actually going to roll this course out in beta in July. And so, uh, you know, we've had to do a few things different, but it's one of the things that we're hoping to see if this model works, then maybe we'll, you know, put it forward on a couple of other uh, courses. So lastly, I think it's important that we always remember that we make decisions that affect people's lives and their livelihood. And we don't want to screw that up. You know, you said in the opening, Joe, that, uh, you know, I started as a technician in this industry and I worked uh, as a general manager of a company I also own my own cleaning and restoration company, and which I sold in January of last year. And so, you know, it's uh, uh, important to me that we have something uh, in this industry that we can move forward and, uh, you know, leave uh, uh, for other people behind us. So, and give other people behind us those same opportunities are better. So that's kind of that's kind of my vision for the the future of the industry. Pretty comprehensive, Kevin. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I, I tell you what, let's. You know, I don't know that people know that much about you. Um, you know, you've kind of always. We were on the board together for a few years there, and you've always kind of. You've been one of the guys that lays low, you know, you're, you're not out there making big headlines or making waves. So maybe you could tell listeners a little bit more about your background. Um, one would be, do you consider yourself more of a cleaning guy or more of a restoration guy or, or is it both? You know, it was kind of both because I started as a cleaner and then um, we also did restoration whenever I was a technician. And, you know, when I was younger, I used to like traveling around to different places and uh, you know, drying out buildings. I drive buildings all over the South and that was always fun for me. Uh, but then, uh, whenever I owned my business, I got into rug cleaning and I really enjoyed rug cleaning. I think the only thing I hated was when I had to pick up the rugs by myself. That's, you know, that's just no fun, but, um, especially if they're wet. So, <laughs> but outside of that, I really enjoyed it. It was a challenge to me to take a rug that you knew was going to bleed and clean it without ruining it. And so that just, um, that, that was something that I really enjoyed. Uh, you know, going to different classes, and I remember I took a class, and Ellen Amerkan was an instructor. And that lady would just uh, – show pictures of all the rugs she screwed up and she's like third generation rug cleaner. And I'm thinking, geez, if she's still screwing up rugs then it's okay, if I screw up one or two, it just can't be too bad. So, um, so anyway, rugs were, were something that I enjoyed, especially later on, you know, whenever I own my business, but even when I sold, I was still probably 60% uh, restoration. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin um, to, to what trade organizations have you belonged to and what do you belong to now? Yeah, so uh, I guess kind of what got me started in this is I went to a PCRA um, uh, meeting years ago. I don't even remember, it's probably early 2000s. And at that meeting, they were talking about um, – you know, the different standards that you could be involved in with uh, IICRC. And so that was kind of how I got uh, into the IICRC part of it was through the PCRA, the Professional Cleaning and Restoration Association. And it's here in Texas. Okay, cool. Uh, how many years have you been volunteering at IICRC? 
since probably the 2003, 2004, somewhere in there, whenever I started on the standards uh, committees, you know, writing standards, that was, uh, that grew to kind of be fun for me, uh, just because I think whenever you can argue for an hour on whether to put a the in the sentence or not, you know, it just, you know, that for some weird reason, that was just fun for me. So, um, but it's been a long time. I've been volunteering in the organization, served in many different roles, many different committees over the years. Um, in terms of ICRC, how many registrants approximately do you have now? There's about 55,000 plus registrants and about 6,100 certified firms. So uh, there's quite a bit, but I think one thing that both RIA and IICRC realized when we were putting together this agreement was that a bunch of their members and a bunch of our registrants and certified firms are the same people. And so that really kept us together at the table, you know, um, just because we share so many of their, uh, their people and they share ours. Joe. Yeah. Let's bring Craig Kersemeyer in here. Craig, I, we've had you on the show before. Welcome back. It's, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you. And, and Craig, what, you know, you were the, um, marketing chair. You're the current marketing chair and, and a past board member. And I don't know, were you part of the group that helped, uh, pull this, uh, agreement together. Yeah, I think it's a, it started. It started as a conversation we had in uh, Australia to kind of kick it off. Uh, and, and Pete Consigli, he was there. It was kind of like it was around a shareholder issue and what can we do so that the RIA could become a shareholder of IICRC. And and we said, you know, obviously some people on the board viewed it that they were somewhat of a competitor because they had were developing a standard and had certifications. But it got us to a point to sit down at a table and discuss it and say, what, what can we do to, you know, kind of amend this thing? So it, I was on the initial part, and obviously as it went through, and then I got to the legal part, and then I was out. So, um, but yeah, very, very much so I was involved with, with, with helping uh, guide this uh, agreement. And let's, let's get listeners a little more on your background too, Craig. You, you, you've been in the cleaning and restoration world for quite a long time. Do you consider yourself more of a cleaning guy or a restoration guy or both? I'm similar to Kevin. I, we, I started from the cleaning side and then went towards the, the the restoration side. That's what the majority of our business now is restoration over cleaning. And do you prefer the restoration over the cleaning, or is that just something that happened kind of organically? Well, I um, I like the challenges of restoration, but I like the profit margins of cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you had that company now? Uh, well, second generation family business. My parents started it in 1976, and uh, actually, I have my the third generation. My my sons are involved uh, in regards with the company, and my nephew and stuff. So, who knows where that goes? Cliff and I were commenting earlier to to see what what direction that eventually takes, but uh, hopefully, it goes to a third generation. Where do you see this industry headed? I mean, you you've been very involved for many years. There's been fragmentation. It seems like they're you know, we're trying to come back together a little bit. Um, you've got the issues with the, you know, the third party administrators and some of the restoration companies are, are having a hard time with the, the program work and all that. Uh, where do you see this headed? Well, um, I think the TPAs and the third parties that you're going to see there, you're starting to see some consolidation of that already. I think there's going to be some winners and losers that I, I think they're here to stay, but I don't think they're going to dominate the market. You know, the part I feel about with uh, the third parties, we've kind of created that um, by the basis of us that doing some poor documentation and stuff and being held to an account accountability standard. So it kind of opened the door for these third parties to go to insurance companies and say, hey, I have this new idea. How, how will we help you administrate this? So we've kind of created that. But I think one of the most important things is the government fairs things that now that we got the two segments together, one, we have the standards and, and, and certifications that we both mutually agree on, and let's just say in the restoration industry. Secondly, now we can have white papers and back it up with the standards and certifications, and we have a unified voice 
so we can't get picked against each other with adjusters or, or TPAs. So I think that's a, that's a great thing that we're going to be able to, to work towards. You know, you've, you've been involved with both RIA and the IICRC over the years. I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, how long have you been a, a volunteer for IICRC and, and the same with RIA? I mean, it seems like quite a while now. Um, about in the 90s, I kind of got involved with the, with the IICRC. Um, it was under the different model they had where I was the, the president of AWCC or MCRA, and they used to seat the person who was a ship the, up on the board of directors. The shareholders uh, had, had, had one person that they could seat on that. So that's when I first got, it, got involved. I mean, RIA, like I said, just been involved by going to the conventions and, 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 and meeting things when it was back with Ascar and stuff. Um, I was involved with some of the things with, with Pete, with the Donnie Brooks, and uh, so just been involved, like I said, by knowing a lot of the people that are in the industry. Okay. Let's go back to Kevin. Kevin, got a couple questions for you. One is just, I think most people are uh, familiar with the IICRC certification program and the, the testing that they do. How many, uh, how many languages can a student take an IICRC exam in now? You talked about, you know, international being one of your focuses. Right. Now. Yeah, that's a good point. We got, we got, we don't have all exams translated into all languages, but some countries uh, dictate that we have it more so than others. So we do have languages or exams in French, Spanish, of course, English. And I, th I think those are the three main ones right now. Um, but you know, we're always looking to, to grow that. And, oh, and Japanese. So four okay. actually. Okay. And, and what, what kind of annual budget does the IICRC have? I've always heard they're a big dog. And back in the days, I remember some pretty good sized budgets. Where are you nowadays? And uh, nowadays we're just a little over 6 million, uh, you know, is what the organization does annually. Okay. All right, and um, you've got a somewhat unusual structure uh, at the IICRC. You know, you've got you're incorporated in Washington State. Um, there's, you know, why? I'm trying to think. Why does that structure seem to work for IICRC when I don't know that it would for others? And or is it a problem? It's definitely a weird duck. So uh, we, we are not uh, normal. So we're incorporated in the state of Washington because it's the only state that allows a nonprofit to actually have shareholders. Now, they're not exactly shareholders like you would think of owning stock in the stock market, being a shareholder that way. When you own a share of IICRC, it, uh, it never goes up in value. It is, it, if you sold it 40 years later, you'd only get out of it what you put into it. And so uh, it only gives the shareholders the right to choose the board of directors. So each shareholder organization sends a representative and they vote on the board of directors. So that's, that's really how it works. And to say that we're a nonprofit with shareholders is weird and most people don't understand it, but that's that's how it works in a nutshell. You know, Craig, you mentioned a couple of uh, regional organizations. I'm wondering, and you used the acronyms. I'm wondering if you could uh, maybe spell those out for us. I, I, the first one I didn't recognize. AWCC was the Association of Wisconsin Cleaning Contractors. Um, they changed to MCR, which would came to be Midwest Cleaning and Restoration Association. Ah, okay. um, so that's 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 the, that's the Midwest one. We just uh, there was no anybody representing Minnesota and Iowa per se, so we expanded a little bit by by having our membership being able to go there. I see. Hey, Cliff, let me turn it over to you for a second. Okay, thanks. Um, I guess Craig. Um, you know, you have roots both in RIA and in IICRC. Can you give some examples how you were able to kind of garner understanding between the groups during the negotiations? Well, a lot of credit has to go to Mark Springer. Like I said, uh, to be able to sit down 
um, just a class act of a guy to be able to sit down and have this negotiation with him because every time we got to look at maybe a turf that was RIA turf or IICRC turf, we could stop that and look out and say, what's best for an industry? And that was our guiding light during the negotiation where we could simply say, hey, it, it can't be one-sided to one or the other, but what's best for an industry? And I think in the end, we've, we're allowed to create that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when, when we interviewed him, he mentioned this concept of the lanes, you know, and I think it made, uh, it made a lot of sense. You know, sometimes it just takes a simple idea to, for people to have the breakthrough that they need. Um, so it's like sitting down and like, so we looked at the pros and the cons and w there was more pros than cons. And so right. we just focused then on what those four or five issues were. And it, it made the, it made this thing that was so-called impossible possible. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, you're president of SCRT. Did, did they have any resentment over it? No, we had a board meeting in, in Florida we talked about. I have, I'll be completely honest. I haven't heard anything negative. Good. I think good. there's some anticipation of uh, they want all the details, and we're not to the details. We've created some uh, committees and stuff to be able to say, how are we going to operate that way? So we have things on broad stroke general principles, but now we're going to get into the details. And I think that's what people are really you know, waiting, waiting to see. So um, that's the next step that we're, that we're working towards. Good. Thanks. Joe? And you know, let's let's go back to to Kevin for just a moment. Kevin, you know, you're how long is the chair elect? I mean, once you become chairman, I guess in October, is that going to be for one year, two years? How does that work? Well, let's pray it's not forever. So, <laughs> good. Luck. Yeah, but uh, you know, honestly, uh, it was created so it kind of gave us uh, some continuity on the on the board. And so it goes where you're chair-elect for two years, and then you'll move into chair for two years, and then you'll be the immediate past chair for two years. So it's a sentence of, I mean, a term of <laughs> two years. Now, is that a guaranteed two years, or is it possible after a year that, you know, the board says, ah, we're not too happy with, with what you're doing, and they vote for uh, someone else? Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible that the board could always – uh, change who the executive committee is. They they can if they don't like uh, what's going on, then the board can always uh, remove an officer and put somebody else there. And you know, with you're a guy that came from, you were a technician, and uh, you know you were a business owner. And I'm just curious, what as someone who's been very involved with IICRC over the years, and also involved with the board of directors, etc. What what caused what what benefits did you and your company see as being a part of as such an integral part of the IICRC? What what kind of benefits did you see for your company? You know, I think it was just uh, knowledge of me being around people like uh, you know. I just remember Daryl Paulson, even though he would like talk forever and was like, "I wish I was the speaker he is," but I'm not. But, uh, you know, he has some great points. He ran a great business, and he taught me a lot of things, you know, such as, you know, don't come to me with a, a problem only. You know, bring some solutions. And so in my company, uh, whenever Daryl told me that one time, you know, I, I implemented that. And I said, hey, you know, uh, my employees, don't just come to me with a problem. Tell me how you're going to solve it. Bring me a couple of solutions and let's talk about them. And so it was It was little stuff like that that helped me along the way. Uh, as I grew in being a business owner, because, you know, it's, it's a tough job being a business owner. Uh, people look at it as it's all glory, but it's sometimes it's not, you know. I know Craig was telling me the other day, well, a couple months ago that he was under a house in a crawl space and I'm like, dude, you're, you're to the owner. And he's like, yeah, but I was the last one. So I had to go into crawl space. So, you know, it's not all glory. Uh, sometimes you just gotta roll up your sleeves and get dirty. So, um, so anyway, that's some of the things I learned. Well, when you had your company, how many people did you have working for you? You know, I think at the, at the most we had nine, nine okay. full-time employees. So I ran five trucks. 
I got the same question for both of you. I mean, I've I've done some volunteer stuff myself, and I'm just wondering how much how much do you think it has affected your company to spend as much time as you are, or in the past at least, Kevin and and Craig still to this day, uh, volunteering for industry associations? Do you think it's hurt your company, or do you think it's helped in the long run? Well, for me, I'd say uh, I'd say it helped. You know, I don't think I would have got into it um, and wanted to volunteer as much if I didn't have things in my company in place uh, to where I could step away for a few days at a time. And so uh, that was that was an important part of me getting the company to that level. You know, I just didn't want it to be just me. Now, we do have uh, single owner operators on the board and they make it work for them. But uh, to me, that would be difficult. So, mm-hmm. Craig, same question. Uh, you know, like I said, I think it, it definitely the, the people I got to meet and being involved in the industry at a wider aspect, there was a definite positive. And, and same a little bit with what Kevin was talking about. It kind of forced my hand into um, allowing some of my employees because I wasn't there you know it too often it was easy for them when I'm here just to ask me some of the questions they know the answer but they would come to me when I was gone they had to make decisions good or bad and so it, it, it taught me a little bit more of, of, of me as an owner to mature very good gentlemen we're going to stop and thank our sponsors here at halftime but we'll, we'll be back with the second half of our interview we're talking a little with the uh, IICRC's chair elect Kevin Pearson and past board member and marketing chair, Craig Kersemeyer. IAQ Radio Platinum sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at WolfSense.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at siriscience.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview. Guys, I want to turn it over to Cliff here for a moment. Cliff, do you have one lined up? Are you ready to go? Oh, yeah. No, I've got, I've got a couple. Why don't we turn it over um, to you for a couple minutes? Here. Thanks. And I'd like to um, Pete. I want to start the roundup a little early, Cliff, if that's all right with you, and bring Pete in here about twenty, you know, about twenty minutes off. Okay, cool. Okay, uh, Craig, uh, the RIA Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee has an opportunity to impact how the restoration industry is regarded by insurance industries government entities, and the public. How does IICRC plan to support this advocacy movement? Well, we've never really totally defined to what all aspects what it would be, but I think most importantly is that there's a unification in regards to that if we're on the same page, if we can develop these white papers, if we can have a, a, a voice um, of saying, you know, interpretations of what the standards are, so I think that's that, that's probably one of the first things, and it's, and it's fairly easy to, for us to start doing another thing. The other thing is, with because of the certified firms and registrants and the, and the number that we have, 
it also gives us a further reach. You know, like I said, RA might have a, have a thousand um, you know, members, but we have now 6,000. So some of the things that there has a further reach and a bigger impact when you're dealing with governments, you're dealing with insurance companies. So I think that, that, that's just strength by numbers. You know, I, I think if, you know, when we look at Florida and what's happened down there with the assignment of benefits and uh, the lobbying and, and so on and so forth, you know, I think Springer hit it on the head that, you know, our industry has matured and, you know, the insurance company has been lobbying for a long time. And I really think it's about time that, you know, we get together and uh, you know, have a voice and, you know, whisper in the ear of some of these people in politics as well. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. Okay. Joe? I just want to get Kevin to chime in on the same question. Yeah. No, I think it, it, definitely just to dovetail off of what Craig was saying, it, it's important that we, uh, you know, can bring together um, people on both sides, so RIA and IICRC, so that we can be stronger in some of these av- advocacy things. And I know it's not just assignment of benefits in uh, Florida, like Cliff was saying, but that's in other parts of the country too. And if these uh, insurance companies are very well, um, they, they, they've done this for a while and they're together uh, and they know what they're doing. And if we were to join together and be able to combat some of that, uh, it would be to the benefit of our registrants and the certified firms. I agree. Craig, historically, you know, IACRC's had, you know, thousands of members now, I think something like 58,000 members. And a lot of them, if asked, you know, what trade associations do you belong to, uh, have this misunderstanding that when they're an IICRC certified firm or an IICRC certified technician, that IICRC is a trade association. So, you know, in the future, how are you planning to clarify this? Well, I think they got to realize, as you said, the kind of the, the, the lanes that we're in. We are an organization, and they, sometimes I think people cross over the word organization to association. We're not an association. We are an organization in the cleaning and restoration industry. And I think the more we're out there in front of people and explain what we do um, is going to be helpful. It's some of the stuff we're looking at as part of our branding because some of our branding that we've missed for years, the certified uh, you know, people within the industry, the cleaning companies and cleaning technicians, they know what the IICRC is. What we have to do as part of branding is get the end user, Mrs. Smith, who has water damage, so she's realizing that she should be looking for the IICRC logo and, and, and being part of that. So it's, it's things that we're, we're doing now as part of the marketing team um, you know, to, to build that, uh, you know, that brand out there. Okay. Kevin, I've got one final question for you, I think, before the roundup. You know, when we started out, Joe asked you uh, about your vision for the IICRC, and I think you're pretty eloquent uh, in, in outlining it. I got almost a whole page of notes on it. <laughs> uh, what I'd like to do is what positive benefits do you envision between this agreement between RIA and IICRC uh, in, in terms of moving the association forward? You know, that's a great question because uh, I'm serving right now as education committee chairman. And uh, oftentimes in that position, I get asked, you know, hey, when's the fire standard coming out? Y'all put in a pins. When's the fire standard coming out? This agreement is going to allow us to get this fire standard to the market uh, faster than it would have otherwise. And so uh, that alone is really going to help tons of our registrants and certified firms uh, who've been waiting for this for uh, years. So it's it's amazing how many people uh, are excited about this that I've met in the industry. It seems like everywhere I go and industry people are there. That's the buzz. You know, hey, when's the fire standard coming out? Okay, good enough. Joe? Telling them now, uh, Kevin, is it a year down the road, two years, five years? I mean, it takes time for these things to develop, I know, but uh, what's your best guesstimate? Yeah, well, if you ask us, we'd say tomorrow, and that may still not be soon enough. So, uh, but we do put these things together with volunteers, 
And so it's, it's anybody's guess, but we're definitely shooting for it to be um, uh, a year or sooner. Now, I know it's kind of new in the relationship, but have you been able to get the, the two groups together? And uh, do you have one committee now that's working on the fire standard? Yeah, the, the, the fire standard committee, it's the S700, and the committee is uh, there. It's populated, and uh, they're starting to, to move things forward. Great, great. And you've got, I think, is Millie? Still there, Millie Washington? Yes, Millie Washington is our director of standards. And we also have, uh, in the last year or just a little over a year ago, we hired Jennifer Bethke, and she's our certification director. So uh, we actually have uh, people on staff in charge of both those areas. You know, I'm wondering, just either one of you, just throw out a question. that um, When I was on the board a few years back, we were just getting started in the um, – the, the Global Resource Center, I guess it's called. I'm not sure. The, the, the headquarters, essentially, in Las Vegas. How's that working out? You know, the Global Resource Center is great because we actually have uh, space for all the employees to show up to work every day. And then in the back, there's an area that can be uh, rented out if you have a, a group, you know, wants to have a, a small function there. Uh, sometimes we hold board meetings there, and uh, so so the building is, is great. And uh, I think the best part is we we don't know anything on it. It's uh, we're totally debt free, and so uh, that building uh, is fully paid for. Fantastic! And you also now have a full time. Uh, I don't I don't know uh, Richard Green's title, executive director, maybe. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, full time plus. Uh, you know, there's about 28 or so different staff members. All in, all working out of that Las Vegas building. Correct. Fantastic. That's great. Craig, anything you'd like to add on that? No, I think one of the, one of the things that, that, that helped us move faster is exactly that. If we, we, we were a volunteer organization. People have good intentions, but when they get back to their real job, some of that stuff, the, the, the things they're volunteer stuff they committed to doesn't always happen as fast. But with having a staff there, being able to assign people saying, we need this, they've been able to move faster and get standards out and certifications, and we can up, uh, up, uh, update the tests and things that are there. So that's very helpful. You know, I know another big issue back when I was involved was the, the turnaround time on, on the certifications. I understand that's really improved tremendously. Can either of you comment on that? How, you know, if I took a, a WRT class last week, how long would it take before I got my certificate? Yeah, you know, you can uh, generally get those back within two weeks now, uh, sometimes faster. Uh, but I know since I sold my business in January of 2018, I've actually taken two classes myself and I actually got both my certifications. Uh, and one was about a week later and one was just a little over a week. So the turnaround time is, is pretty fast now. You know, Kevin, you mentioned maybe some different alternatives for the exam, taking the exam. Are you, are you able to talk a little bit about that now, or is that something you'd rather hold off on? Yeah, I think I'd rather hold off on that. We, we've kind of explored a few options there, uh, but I think I'd rather hold off on that. Understood. All right, let's go to the roundup, guys. I think at this point we've got to bring in the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Pete, questions, comments on, on today's show? Yeah, well, good job, guys. Uh, can you hear me okay? You sound great. Yeah. I got the, you know, it's really hot in Florida, and the air conditioning in the background. If I have to turn it off, I turn it off, and I'll, I'll have the fan. I, I, I can deal with it for about five or ten minutes. Well, listen, actually, it's funny that the last question that you asked, Kevin, was about the exams, because the first thing I had up on my notes was about the exams. And I, what all I'll say is this. Number one, I, I understand and agree that if, 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 they haven't, if they haven't made a decision exactly what they do, you're better off not to speculate on Kevin. That's a, a wise decision as the incoming uh, chair-elect, because anything that you would say, people will take it as gospel. So a uh, good idea not to do that. 
but look, as as I think that you guys know, and and certainly all the RA members and a lot of the IICRC certified firms who are RA members too, know for our courses uh, since we made this transition to Smith Buckley, one of the things that they really have done a good job with is moving us over to take the digital exams. Of course, it's a lot easier with us because we only have a few certifications than all the ones that you guys have. So obviously there's a lot more complexity in what you're doing. But um, the whole digital process is, has really been fabulous. And I think uh, it, it's perfectly situated, that model with you guys kind of taking over that process as part of this agreement to do it globally. I mean, going back 10 years when we first started looking at it at RAA, I remember our former director of certification had a list of about 300 locations worldwide of all these uh, places where you could go in to go take the exam, you know, after you took a prep course or whatever. Now, very specifically from the international angle, which, you know, obviously, Craig, you com commented on earlier, and Kevin, you too, it's been very helpful for us with our, you know, our expansion in Australia with our council. They have different rules and laws over there, so there are there's but there are delivery sites, and we have had actually retakes done over there by some of the students that needed to do a retake exam, and in the new model, you know, uh, to take the initial exam. Uh, but in the states, uh, we've been doing that, and where it's really most helpful is on the retakes. It makes it easy and it's just clean. So um, it'll be good, you know, to see the industry start to move to that model uh, to do that. Um, you know, like they, the Smith Buckland say, you know, when you separate that, you know, it, it creates a defensible, uh, you know, you, you teach from the body of knowledge and the exam is the exam and all the questions come from the body of knowledge and they come from, you know, the manuals that are developed. So um, I'm looking forward, you know, for the industry moving, moving in that direction. Um, you guys, if you guys got any comments, go ahead now and then I'll kind of just go down my little short list. I want to add one on there. Um... I have a text question from a listener and you guys may be able to answer this. They're saying, um, what about Spanish speaking instructors and, and tests in Spanish? Do we have, does IICRC have any Spanish classes going on now for, for instance, WRT, I guess that's probably water restoration technician is probably your most popular course. Yeah. You know, we used to have uh, some Spanish uh, speaking instructors I don't think we do right now. It's one of the things that we've been looking at, and it's definitely on our radar. We do have some Spanish exams, but if you know uh, about Spanish, maybe Spanish in Cuba is different than Spanish in Mexico, is different than Spanish in Spain. And so, uh, so sometimes uh, that doesn't always translate well into an exam. And so uh, we struggle with that. But it is definitely something that's on our radar and that we're working on. Yeah, you know, so, Kevin, look, you know, Claudia Ramirez, who was uh, the executive director of REA in the 90s, and Craig probably remember, she, she used to represent the association at a lot of the IICRC meetings. And when this whole issue was brought up, she said that exact same thing. It was very complicated. And even in French, because, you know, the French Canadians would have it, but European French is different. So it, it is challenging. There are, there are, I've met a couple of uh, Spanish-speaking guys. There's one gentleman from Washington State, I think, that does the WRT and some of those courses in Spanish. But I think they just teach in Spanish. But I, my understanding is they still have to take an English exam, right? I think they can ask for a Spanish exam. Uh, I mean, we do have it available. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, um, the other thing is that uh, I, um, you know, Craig, you were commenting um, about wanting to market to the end users. So here's the idea that I have, and I actually brought something similar to what I'm about ready to say in 2016 when we had uh, the keynote panel at RAA in Orlando. We, we had uh, this narrowing divide panel. We have Mike Bowden and Harvey Cohen and uh, Ralph Moon and a guy from the Paul Handahan from FAIR. And in my opening on that, I kind of talked about how the major national players in our industry are doing end user marketing. The very first company to actually do this was DKI way back in the day. They didn't do national marketing as much as they did regional marketing. Cable TV, it was, it was better then. 
course, the most well-known one is the Serpro ones. And um, Service Master's done some. And then, of course, Belfour and Sheldon Yeldon doing it. And I think all of those companies that do that, they do that to promote their own brands in the market. They have the money and they're, you know, they're leaders. And uh, they don't talk about RAA or IICRC, even though they're all having affiliation. So maybe something that may come out of this whole advocacy thing is that they can promote their association affiliations and their certification and standards affiliations subtly in those ads. I mean, I don't know. But I think that's a discussion that should take place because with the AGA committee that Ed's heading up, you know, he has a lot of those people from those companies that are represented on there. And so if we want to create a unified message in the industry, particularly with the general public, I mean, it's no different than the good housekeeping seal and, you know, in the carpet industry with the, with the, uh, the Carpet and Rug Institute that, you know, IICRC has done over the years with the different methods and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that's something that, uh, that we should definitely pay attention to. Those guys are already spending the money. They're already spreading the word about quick response, et cetera. You know, so anyway, I think that'd be helpful. Um, <coughs> I think in, in regarding Florida. Now, when we talk about advocacy, so Harvey Cohen um, is uh, in the process of putting these little meet and greets around the state of Florida. And uh, he, he had his first one actually in Orlando after the Nexus conference last week, Craig, which I know you were at. And um, yeah, about 60. Now I was on a Florida road trip. So we had one in Fort Lauderdale just the other day and uh, there were over a hundred and he's going to do a few more up to July 1st, which is when the actual, um, the A, it's not really the AOB. It, what it is that goes into effect is the fees shifting statute, which is the one way lawyer fees. The AOBs have been around for years. That's going to come off. So it's going to change how contractors, you know, want to uh, protect their interest in the homeowners because the AOB really, it doesn't have any teeth without that fee shifting statute. So uh, part of it is, you know, people can still file an AOB claim under the old law up to July 1st. And then after that, they're going to have to go to uh, what I say, they're going to have to go to operating the way the other 49 states have for years is, you know, you have to have good contracts, good risk management, good communication, determine who your customer is. You know, public adjusters will be involved in some claims. They always have been and they will continue to be. If people want to hire a lawyer, they're going to hire a lawyer, you know. But, you know, experienced restorers know, and this is a regional thing, depending on what part of the country you live in. Uh, you know, um, if you get a good contractor to represent the homeowner's interest, who represents their interest, but is willing to work in a cordial manner with the insurance company, I don't know, 80, 90% of the claims, they, they just take their course and you can normally settle them. I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but I, I think it's important that it's said. And um, I don't know that it's going to change the dynamic at all, to be honest with you. I just think that we won't have a lot of the, a lot of this, I don't know, shenanigans, whatever you want to call it in Florida, because it's been a very, it's very bad for the, uh, for the industry. I don't always agree that the insurance industry, you know, the way their lobby kind of crushed the law and did that. They're not angels either. You know, my, my father always told me it takes two to tangle. So there's no angels in this deal. Everybody's got a little bit of complicity. But anyway, um, I, I'm, I guess in some ways I'm glad that we're going to move on from it because I think it'll be better for the industry in the long run. I think the herd will cull itself. And, and you, you can never keep out bad actors. They always find a way to get in. But by having, um, you know, good good practices and laws that people, you know, should follow the contracting laws, which they need to anyway. I think it'll, uh, it'll call the herd. We'll leave it at that. Um, but I, the one thing I will say, and I noticed this, a couple of the people around the call are involved in the advocacy process with, with Ed is that in talking to Ed over the last few years, the issues are a lot bigger than just dealing with the insurance companies. Okay. In 20 States, Ed has said, and, you know, we're going to have his part three show is booked for, um, we haven't put it out yet. It's booked for June 17th. It's going to be part three. And he's going to have two of his advocacy committee members on there. Uh, Charlie Cassani from uh, Sacramento and Dave Robbins. Dave's a board member of REA from uh, Memphis. will join him uh, on the show. And I remember <laughs> Ed talking about, that 
there's 20 states that have real estate laws that affect the restorers more so than any issues we may have with the insurance companies that have to do with the 72-hour cooling off period and all kinds of things like that. So I think this, you know, in my mind should be another part besides just the position papers and the things that you talked about is how do we look at the bigger picture of the issues that affect our trade and the profession. Now, as we move into the down the road with the strategic, you know, partnership uh, thing, then that, you know, that opens up a, a lot of other target, uh, you know, customer groups that will affect all the broad-based constituency, whether it's, you know, the carpet mills and um, the property management firms, the government entities dealing with FEMA, all that kind of stuff. So I, to me, that's what I see is going to come out of that. And, and, you know, in my mind, whatever work the IICRC membership or uh, marketing committee does, in a, little, in a little way, it's kind of a counterpart to the AGA, but not really. I mean, Craig, maybe one of the things, and I'm just spitballing here, you know the way I am, is you, you guys ought to think about forming a subcommittee underneath IICRC marketing that is a liaison to the AGA. And in that, in that regard, they would focus in very specifically on advocacy stuff because I'm sure your marketing role is a lot bigger than that and deals with other areas that might not directly do that. So anyway, that's something I just kind of throw out there. You guys think, think of it as merit, you know. Uh, well, you know the guys you need to follow up with. I don't need to mention who they are. They're, you know, we know they're all the usual suspects. Um, Pete, why don't we let Craig go ahead and comment on that. Craig, and- go ahead, Craig. How does IICRC, are you going to help support that AGA, the the advocacy movement that (laughs) ARC is uh, putting together here? Well, I think one of the uh, the, the initial things is is realizing we have a different audience. We have an expanded audience. It goes back to what Mark Springer says. The maturing of our industry has now taken us from just being a close-knit group of we. Of, of companies that knew each other, now we need to expand it, whether it be government, whether it be insurance companies, whether it be end users. So, you know, that's kind of our focus is, to, is by expanding and, and putting things out there. And it, and every group's going to probably need it delivered a, a slightly different way. Um, if it's an insurance company, it'll be delivered one way. If it's going to be the end user, another. So, but we're having those conversations and, 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 and uh, you know, we don't have a formalized plan, but I, I, I envision us working in that direction. And yeah. Hey, Joe, Joe, if I might, um, some years back, Craig, I, I'm sure you were involved with IICRC when this occurred. I was already off the board at that point, but I think that IICRC had the answer, and then they kind of set it aside or they dropped it, and I think they dropped it and set it aside for the wrong reason. Uh you know, sometimes this thing comes down to simplicity and a very, very careful choice of words. And I think you had it when you had this brand, Clean Trust. And I believe that's something that people will understand. I think a lot of times when you use the word restoration, I think people don't exactly know what it is. And I know that there are a lot of different definitions for cleaning as well. But the one thing about cleaning is most people think they know. Uh, what what clean is. And really the whole thing is about cleaning in the end and, and about trust. And I think those words uh, really say everything that we want to say to the consumer, that we want to say to the insurance company, that we want to say to any and all the stakeholders. So I, I really think they should go back and, and revisit that. You know, I, uh, I remember the, the kickback that you guys got when the clean trust came out. And I don't remember that was maybe on Daryl's watch or on Tony. And yeah. he reached out to me to ask my viewpoint on it. And uh, he had uh, a couple of marketing, the people there. And I go, you know what I told him? I said, well, you got so much doggone feedback. You, you need to use the new Coke strategy. And that's basically what they did. Two weeks later, you brought the, you brought the trusted brand back. But I, but I did say at the time, and me and Cliff talked about that, I agree with what he said. You guys have still had that clean trust trademarked, and it's kind of in the background. And I, I think it is something now that maybe now is where we, we bring it, you know, you bring it back in some context because it does, I think it does instill consumer confidence. And, may, you know, maybe it just brought it out too early, you know, it was ahead of its time. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Um, all right, so listen, a couple of, a couple of little wrap-up things. Um, so I wanted to finish on the advocacy thing, Joe. <laughs> and thank you for bringing Craig in, because I, I was, I was going to obviously ask him to comment on that. The other thing with the advocacy, which I, I think is very big, besides the core audience of the insurance and then all the other specialty ones, Craig, which I agree with you, you got to customize them, is uh, threats to the industry. And that we learn the lessons of being fragmented and not unified. And specifically, I'm talking about uh, the heat issues and how that affected the industry. Now, in the future, it, it's always something. It doesn't matter what it is. There's going to be something. We don't know what the next threat's going to be, but all industries have threats. And so a big underlying reason for unification is to be able to deal with those threats uh, as an industry with one voice. And so I think we shouldn't overlook that. You know, it's very easy for everybody to get all involved in the position papers and dealing with TPAs and the insurance companies because that's a big core expense where their money comes from. They get that. But like Ed points out, these real estate transaction laws, which could nullify, you know, 72 hours on mitigation and uh, other threats to the industry, patent, whatever it would be, could equally take take the ship down. So I think it's important that we deal with that. Um, I guess I'll close by saying that uh, I'm looking forward to the fall. You know, we have as part of the four-part series that we've put out in the narrative on these shows, we have the AGA show coming up in, the, in a few weeks, and then we'll take the summer off. And then sometime after uh, Labor Day, might be in October, you know, REA has changed to a uh, quarterly journal now this year. And uh, in quarter number three, we have it slated for Mark Springer to do the third part of this whole series of take a stand to what we need. And then the last one will be on industry unification and his thoughts on that. As soon as it's ready, it'll be published on the CNR hub, uh, which is the digital version. And then the magazine may lag. So once that hits the wires, then I think that'll be the time to kind of wrap this up and to actually bring the signatories, Pete Duncanson and Lee King on to, uh, you know, kind of do the wrap to where we're at and give a little industry update. And then, you know, there's going to be a lot of exciting things going on this fall in October, um, October, November. Uh, obviously, <laughs> you guys have your biannual meetings. And then the big ISSA week with a lot of us are involved is in Las Vegas. I know they're planning on uh, rolling out the fire loss specialist course then at the Global Resource Center. And I suggested they should consider uh, doing the WLS too. We, ha we were going to roll it out at the convention and then they, they postponed it. They had a half a dozen guys signed up, but they decided it's best to just do it in the fall. So both of those are going to come out. And, um, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of people from both organizations and industry people in Vegas. And so I think it'll be really exciting times to build on everything. I told Springer when he goes out there, I think that'll be the first time he'll be to the Global Resource Center. I've been out there a few times over the year. You should start looking around. And actually, Kevin, you can probably reach out to you because it'll take place in your watch. We should find out where we're going to plan to put the REA wing because, you know, we, we need some place to, to hang Marty King's picture and everything else. And, uh, you know, as disagreement goes. And, um, and then the last thing I'll say there, uh, Radio Joe and the Z-Man, before I turn it over, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that, but whoever is in charge of the budget at the IICRC for next year, we sure would love to see the IICRC logo attached as one of the nonprofit sponsors, organizations, not associations, to IEQ Radio next year. I think that would be great. And I think on that note, uh, uh, it's been a great show. I really enjoy Well, Craig, I've enjoyed working with you all these years. Kevin, look forward to working with you. You know, people just think of me as an REA historian. They don't realize how deep my roots go in IICRC. My number when I was certified was number 360. And, um, and I, uh, I, I knew it was Ron Tony, but I didn't want to, I wanted someone else to get it. Of course, it's Joe Dobbins, another historian of our, of that. And, um, and then I was just, it's just, uh, it's kind of exciting now as a, some of us move into the, our twilight years to basically see the industry come together like that. And so, uh, I know Kevin, I'll see you and, uh, 
and, and Pete, uh, maybe Steve Moran, whoever else is coming down in Australia in a few weeks. We're having our second annual conference. It's going to be great. And, uh, and then I'll see a bunch of you guys at summer camp. And then hopefully Joe will see him at the Seven Springs for HBS. There's just a lot of things going on. So, man, it's really fun. Anyway, great show. Turn it back to you guys. Thank you, Pete. Hey, guys, before we go, we always like to give our guests the last word. Uh, Kevin, anything you'd like to add before we wrap it up? Yeah, you know, Joe, I'd just like to say thanks for giving Craig and I the opportunity to uh, talk today. Um, you know, it's, it's weird. I think uh, the first time you and I met, Joe, we were sitting next to each other at a board table, and you leaned over to me and said, hey, I got to go <laughs> figure out a quiet room so I can do this radio show. And, <laughs> you know, it kind of took me by surprise. And so now to actually be on the radio show, uh, I just appreciate the opportunity. Thank you much. Well, we love having you and hope you'll be back as uh, your, your tenure as the chair uh, progresses. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks again, Kevin. And Craig, any final thoughts from you? Just uh, once again, thanks for the opportunity to let us uh, you know, talk together. It's a, it's, it's a great opportunity to catch up a little bit with Cliff and you, Joe, and Pete. Heck, we've been talking so darn much lately. I, I expect my weekly phone calls from you. So, but, no, but thanks again for giving us the opportunity to, to tell a little bit more and, and lay out what we have as a vision for the future. Thank you, gentlemen. Cliff, any final thoughts from you? I'm done, Joe. Thank you. All right. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guests, Craig Kersemeyer and Kevin Pearson. Gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, hopefully things will continue to work smoothly with RIA and the IICRC and their strategic partnership agreement. I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. At the controls, John, you got to have faith. The Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners will be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.